The scripture reading I want to reflect upon for a short amount of time is from Matthew chapter 1, and I will read it now. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, wait a minute. Is that Matthew 1? It is. Ah, it's a different version. (laughs) I'm like, wait a minute. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and called his name Jesus. Hear these words. One day, my girlfriend asked me, would you have loved me if I had an enormous birthmark on my face like she does? The yearning in the answer that the answer be yes, an answer that would place love above the mundane surfaces of the body or more particularly the cruel, unchangeable ones. For example, I will love you not just for wit, talent, and beauty, but simply because you are you with no strings attached. I will love you not just for wit, but I will love you for who you are, deep in your soul not for the color of your eyes or the length of your legs or the size of your bank account. The longing is that the lover would admire us, stripped of our external assets, dating the essence of our being without any accomplishment. Even if we are beautiful and rich, we do not wish to be loved on account of those things, for they may fail us, and with them love may fail. The desire is that I would be loved Even if I lose everything, leaving nothing but me, this mysterious love is to be taken with the self at its weakest, most vulnerable point. Do you love me enough that I may be weak with you? The words of Alain de Botton, prominent philosopher and writer. He describes well the longing we all have to be loved at our deepest, our weakest, our most vulnerable and our darkest levels. And Christmas meets us in that deep, deep place of longing because Christmas announces the arrival, indeed the invasion of a forgiving grace, the invasion of unconditional love, the invasion into our lives of the kindness and mercy of God, actually more than that, the invasion of God himself into our world. But, almost, but unlike almost every other invasion that we talk about, this invasion is an occasion for rejoicing 
because the manner of the invasion reveals the character of the God who invades, who has come into this world. So let us consider, men and women, boys and girls, the character of the God who has invaded history. Let us consider two things about him. Firstly, his unimaginable humility, and secondly, his unfathomable grace. Matthew 1.18, after the, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, that is an intimate marital relation, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. God decides to invade and enter human history I submit to you by the most wondrous, strange, and profound way possible. Think about how you would come into the creation if you were its creator, the God of the universe. Think about how you would visit as the royal, majestic king of all things. We know what royal visits look like, don't we? They cost chameleons of dollars, and they have gazillions of fanfare, propaganda, and press. That's how we do royal visits. God is the ultimate royalty above all royalty. With infinite glory, infinite majesty, dignity, and goodness, what kind of entrance befits him? The one who holds the universe in the palm of his hand and creates all of the cosmos with words. What entrance is fitting for him? Right. But how does he decide to enter? In the most vulnerable and humble way we can imagine. He grows inside the womb of a virgin woman from a backwater conquered nation of an imperial Rome. The woman's fiance is a lowly carpenter, a working class family from a forgotten village in a backwater conquered colony. This is how the king of the universe decides to show up. Men and women, this is humility personified, actually humility amplified to a supernatural degree we cannot fathom. Because humility, from our perspective, means what? It means having a proper understanding of you in your finitude, in your limitations, in your moral weakness. It means knowing who you really are. You're not as great as you think you are, not as great as you wish you are, not greater than anybody else. Humility is accepting reality, that we are weak, sinful, vulnerable people. It's not thinking too highly, but thinking of yourself as you ought. It is the antithesis of pride because pride puffs up and separates. Humility settles down and unites. But in God's case, if God were to have a proper, right, realistic view of himself, what would that entail? It would entail God praising himself for all eternity to everyone who could hear because the God who is, is blinding in dignity and majesty, perfect in holiness, infinite in power and sovereignty and beauty. A proper view of God by him would make him divide from us, not come to be with us. You see, the God as we have seen him all fall, the God as he really is, as Exodus has declared him to be, the God of the flaming massive glory cloud who waves and the earth 
moves and the sea parts. That God here is a fertilized egg in the womb of a virgin, an embryo in the body of a teen. God doesn't just humble himself to see himself rightly as we're called to do. He lowers himself to make himself less than he should be. Men and women, this is the conspiracy of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father asked the Son to voluntarily take upon himself full, vulnerable humanity, including the indignity of being born. The Spirit implanted the Son into the womb of a virgin woman, engaged to a humble carpenter. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, they conspired together to invade humanity with humility unknown before the foundation of the earth. Philippians 2, we ought in humility to count others more significant than ourselves. Let each of you look not only to their own interests, but also those of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, took the form of a servant, and was born in the likeness of men. What would make you do that? What purpose would make you lower yourself like that? Men and women, there's only one purpose that the Bible gives, and the purpose is to unleash upon us unfathomable grace, unfathomable grace. Our verse continues. As Joseph considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived is from the Holy Spirit. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Here then, in the words of the angel, is the reason for this unimaginable humility. It is the unfathomable grace of God. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Two quick notes that I think we just need to, we just need to say. Firstly, you need to be saved from your sin. These are sober words for Christmas Eve, but a sober subject this is. Men and women, boys and girls, your sin separates you from God ethically, morally, spiritually. This separation might be eternal. It is eternal if it is not dealt with, if it is not paid for. If the debt is not removed, hell becomes a reality and not just a concept because hell is. It is a fact. It exists. Your sin is not something you can explain away. You can't just go to God and say, nobody's perfect because he will look and say, actually, somebody was perfect for you and was sent by me to you, to take your sins from you, and what did you do with what I did for you? Isaiah 59, verse 2, your sins have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, and he will not hear. Men and women, the ontological gap between God and humanity is infinite. God is the creator, we are the creatures. But equally infinite is the holiness gap, the ethical gap. 
He cannot abide sin and selfishness in his presence, and it is present in us. So he cannot abide us with it still in us. Sin will eternally separate us from him unless something is done to take it from us. The moral debt must be paid. Romans says the wages of sin is death. But he wants you to be with him and not have that death. So he sends his son. And that's the second point. Jesus will save you from your sin. The one who was born was born to save. He was born for this purpose, to save his people from the consequences and power of their dark hearts. This is the angel's declaration. This is your and my greatest need. Our hearts are dark. We are morally guilty, you and I. And Jesus is neither morally dark nor morally guilty. He is sinless, and therefore, as a sinless human, he can substitute himself for sinful sinners. He can take their debt upon himself, for he has none of his own to pay. This is the glory of the incarnation because Christmas was made for Easter. And Easter is only possible because of Christmas. Philippians 2 continues, being found in human form, Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. Why? Was God so unimaginably humble so that he could give you grace that is unfathomable? So that we could come and be with him and enjoy unlimited delight and joy. You see, the purpose of Christmas mirrors the purpose of Easter. Jesus promised to a criminal beside him on the cross this promise. I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. He promised to his disciples in his last supper with him, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you may be where I am. Unimaginable humility unleashing unfathomable grace so that we could be with God forever because heaven is also a fact. And we there will experience unlimited joy and delight. This is the magic, the hope, and the reality of Christmas. It answers the longing expressed by Alain de Botton that there is one lover with whom we may be weak because that lover who loves us as we are, that love has come to rescue us from our own darkness and slavery by becoming weak for us. And eventually a dead man hanging on a cross from womb to tomb he came for you God has invaded the world to forgive the darkness in us God has entered the world to save us from the darkness that is us he has invaded the world to make you his own consider this God now secondly come to him If you are here and you are still skeptical about the Christian faith, still seeking answers, I was one myself right up into grad school. I tried to connect or reconnect with God after undergrad, after many years of wandering. I wished there was a God as loving as Christianity proclaimed, but I couldn't believe it in my head and I dared not believe it in my heart. 
And after the evidence that Jesus really had died and risen had become compelling to me, I didn't dare believe his mercy and grace was for me. But it is, and it's for you. God's love is wider than any ocean, and it is or can be wide enough to include you. So let him in. Come to him. Ask Jesus who came into history to come and invade yours, history. Come and invade you. Ask him into your life to live with you, to forgive your sins, and his spirit will take up residency in you as he did in me and many of us. And if you're here and you're a Christian and he's in, let him into every room in your house, into your daily ups and downs, decisions and longings. Speak with him daily. Meditate upon his love daily. Let his love fill you, empower you, and guide you. Let him in, into your deepest dreams and longings, your darkest shame and pain. Let him into your brightest joy and happiness Let him calm your deepest fears. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us. Our Lord Emmanuel, let us pray. Father, I thank you that you are the great God who has come in and now shaken by your love, astounded by your grace. We ask you to come in. Come in, Lord Jesus. Come into our hearts, we pray. Emmanuel, be ours today. Amen.